Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we're talking to Tori Telfer. She is the author of Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History. She also hosts the podcast Criminal Broads about wild women on the wrong side of the law. Hello, Tori. Hello. Thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being here. Um, I originally got excited to talk to Tori because we just connected via Instagram. If you guys ever want to talk, DMing me is a very effective way to get my attention. <laughs> um, Tori was particularly fascinating because she comes from a Christian background but has completely immersed herself into some pretty dark subject matter. Let's begin with what is your upbringing, like religiously? Sure. Um, So I am a pastor's daughter. My dad is actually now a professor of biblical languages, but he was a pastor for most of my childhood um, and a missionary, actually. So I come from a Orthodox Presbyterian background, although my family is now in the PCA people, whenever I say that I'm a pastor's kid, people are like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they want me to have stories of, you know, my dad being this villain, but he is like a beautiful, he has a very beautiful face. Why do you think people generalize him being a villain? Um, well, I guess when I say people, I'm more talking about people who aren't coming from a religious background. So or more likely are coming from one, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I guess it could go either way. I think um, people just, I assume the stereotype that comes to mind is a very um, overbearing, moralistic father figure, Mm. um, you know, who won't let you drink and won't let you dance. Um, Not that my dad was like, go ahead and drink girl. (laughs) Um, But you know, he was always like the, the dad who was like, yeah, you can have some of my beer. Um, 
I think people just he hear pastor's daughter and they, yeah, they think of maybe me being really repressed. You know, my dad, and I think he, he, I've heard my parents say this, so I don't think I'm giving away any of their secrets, but I think they would both say that they have become less legalistic over the years. So, and it's cool to see someone, it's cool for me to see a parent figure evolve. Cause when you're a kid, you just kind of think grownups are the way they are forever. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, I, I have seen my whole family kind of come from a more legalistic background, uh, into a more, I don't know, what's the opposite of legalistic? Um, just a kind of a more forgiving no. <laughs> present. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, so, you know, that's been cool to see too. I'm so when did you realize you had this dark little lean inside, <laughs> inside your black heart? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's funny because I... So my book came out about a year ago and congratulations inevitably by the way. Such a <laughs> thank you thank you inevitably someone asks me at a reading or whatever um where I got the idea or why I would even want to write about this and for a year I've been saying that it started as a column because that's how my book actually started I had a column online about female serial killers and you know it, that uh, piqued the interest of some editors and so I've been kind of giving this narrative out that, it, you know, I had this column and it kind of happened that way. And from there, I got really into the true crime world. And while it's true that the book is sort of what got me specifically into like the true crime community, and I know way more about Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy now because of my book, I realized that I'd been kind of like... Um, doing my past self a disservice with that narrative because when I look back at my childhood it's like oh I was always kind of weird and into dark things and I forgot that for some reason like if I was bored in church uh I loved reading revelations oh my, my favorite gosh. book <laughs> I was like how did I forget that and then oh wait just as an aside <laughs> if there's any listeners that are not familiar with the bible Revelation is about the impending apocalypse. Oh, and yes. It's incredibly <laughs> violent and has dark horsemen and <laughs> yeah. pale horsemen. Oh, so mm -hmm. creepy. I know. The um, horsemen sound amazing, actually. Yeah. Revelation is like the most. Is it Revelation or Revelations? Oh. Revelation. Yeah. I think. I, th I think I said it plural earlier. Um, it's a yeah it's like the most it's very like poetic and also really narrative and like a lot is happening things are on fire it's great <laughs> so you know yeah. I mean clearly that's not it's um it's not a book about serial killers but going from revelation to serial killers is actually like not that crazy of a leap and even in college I had sort of I would write these really dark stories I remember my mom kind of being like are you okay? <laughs> After I wrote one, uh, you know, about people being split open, etc. And that was another thing I just sort of forgot about myself. And, you know, when people would ask me in interviews, why I when I started writing about dark things. So that's a long winded way of answering your question by saying, I, I definitely was always drawn to kind of these extreme dark narratives. Yeah. Um, while still being very scared, like I was a very scared kid, you know, I 
we didn't watch a lot of TV. So like if I accidentally saw like a moment of a horror movie or something, I mean, it would scar me for months. I was that, you know, I was sheltered in that way. So um, do you remember any particularly uh, terrifying moments like that? Yes, I remember two vividly. One was at my grandparents and it was me and a couple of my siblings. I can't remember which ones, but I only have three. That made me sound like a, like <laughs> I come from one of those families <laughs> with 16 kids. Um, but it was some, I don't know, crime drama or something on TV. And it flashed to like the dead body, which I'm sure was just some underpaid actor right. laying around in ketchup. But we all were so scared and we um, didn't know how to turn the TV off because it was one of those like fancy new remotes. So I just remember all of us kind of <laughs> blindly groping our way towards the remote, <laughs> not wanting to look at the screen mm-hmm. and not knowing how to turn it off. Um, and then another time, my quote unquote friend showed me the movie The Ring, which scared me that was for a scary years. One. <laughs> that movie yeah. is so scary. And she even claimed to have skipped over the truly scary parts. So I haven't even seen the whole thing. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, just just like totally traumatized me. Well, just so you know where I'm coming from, I mean, I was interested in everything you're up to because I was raised very spiritually. My dad's mother was a psychic in like the 1940s, 50s. Um, Yeah, so I have a lot of stories like that. I'm going to interview my dad actually over Christmas about it. But um, yeah, I always had this like uh, awareness of darkness because my Mm. dad told us all of these crazy ghost stories from living in the house with his mother and all this stuff she was supposedly conjuring up into existence, into their basement. And then we were raised basically on horror films. I remember watching The Exorcist and... The Omen wow. and all of these things at a very impressionable age, <laughs> and it was terrifying. But at the same yes. time, like so fascinating as well, and that dichotomy mm-hmm. between all of the heavenly beauty that I was exposed to, going to church all the time, and these gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know, old churches in Philadelphia, contrast to all of this darkness. It was just interesting mm-hmm. to see both in my home, kind of like yeah, with equal importance. Yes, that is really poetic. And... <laughs> yes, I was a really scared kid. I was always praying for God's protection and like holding oh. on to a cross for dear life when I was trying to go Oh to my God. <laughs> oh, that's so precious. <laughs> but then when the internet I totally comes, sympathize. Yeah. But then when the internet comes along, you know, that was the portal to a lot of darkness and a lot of really mm-hmm. um, poisonous things. I There's definitely pictures I've seen that I would love to take back. I do not need mm-hmm. those images in my mind. Like the mm-hmm. things like Rotten.com that you end up looking at, like with high school friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, all of that said, I completely relate to this draw to, like, the darker forces of the world and the darker mm-hmm. psychology of people. And um, it's really curious to me how you gained any comfortability being a pastor's daughter and then <laughs> writing this book. 
and being oh, out yeah. there is kind of like a creep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I mean, I did have a lot of weird feelings about it. I, I was at first, um, I, when I sold the book, one of my first thoughts was just like, oh, why? Because, okay, like it, you know, I wanted to be a fiction writer for a while. I, I kind of stumbled into this arena and I'm so happy to be here, but um, she's an amazing it, writer. In retrospect, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. When I look back, it's like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. But anyway, I, I kind of like stumbled into this and I just remember selling the book and I was happy, of course, but I just remember this like sadness and just thinking like why did my first book have to be about serial killers like I want it to be something I can take home to my parents and have them be happy about and instead it's like this gross dark subject um and I you know I wanted to do it I wanted to write about it but it was like why couldn't my first book be you know some beautiful novel or like Mm -hmm just something that you can like go run and tell your mom about and you know I remember telling my siblings before I told my parents because I just felt weird I felt like they were gonna be disapproving or I mean it's a weird subject people do get awkward when I tell them about what my book is about um and so there that was kind of a dark cloud that hung over me when I was writing it and waiting for it to come out but I feel very lucky because my crazy parents got a copy of the book uh, off Amazon before it was published oh because God. some asshole blogger <laughs> must have like gotten an, an advanced review copy. You know, the, the copies that come out, like they're not totally finished yeah. um, for bloggers to review. Got it and then put it up on Amazon for 99 cents. What? So I, I know. Sold Trying to book? make a little profit. Yeah, sold the book. Um, wow. And my dad bought it. <laughs> without telling me he better have bought it at full price then too I I believe he did (laughs) that's crazy so like so my dad gets the cop so basically my parents read it before I even know that anyone is reading it um which could have gone really badly but I just remember getting a text from my mom and I still have it screenshotted somewhere she was quoting what my dad had said after reading the book and he just was raving about it. And he was, he said something like, here is someone who is weaving together history, philosophy, psychology, or like, he just had one of those perfect dad quotes oh. that I was like, can we actually put this on the book jacket before it comes out? Cause this is very flattering. <laughs> um, and it was like the clouds broke open and you know, the sunshine came through again. It was like, oh, they don't hate it. And they, now that they've read it, they understand that I'm not writing some blood-drenched slasher fiction, you know, like disgusting thing. I I had hoped that they would see that I was really writing about humanity and what it can look like at, at its darkest moments. And I felt like they... I felt like they got it, you know? They got it and they didn't disapprove and they were proud of me and... You know, I don't think you ever grow 
you I don't think you ever uh grow tired of the feeling of your parents being proud of you or like you don't ever lose that longing for them to be proud of you yeah well yeah so let's dive more into the psychology of it then so you're articulating that it's not some gory graphic slasher book that you are actually delving Mm -hmm. into the psychology of people that thrive in darkness um Mm -hmm. how did you start on that path of actually learning you know, the reasoning behind the things that they do? Well, um, let me think. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a psychologist, of course. So it's, I, you know, don't, none of this is like an official diagnosis. And a lot of the women in my book are vintage, you know, from a century ago, two centuries ago. So I, I didn't do a lot of like, oh, she definitely has this disorder. Right. Um, I don't think I did any of that, I hope. But I, you know, I did my reading on sort of the, what people have written about serial killers in general, um, but most of that is about male serial killers. And so I used a little bit of that. And then I also just, I mean, I, I just kind of tried to use like empathy and uh, like, what's the phrase? Just intelligent guesswork I don't think that's a phrase but you know just kind of putting myself in these women's shoes and trying to understand you know what 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 could possibly lead a mother to poisoning not one not two but eight of her children um you know what could lead someone to get a husband kill him but then get another husband and kill him and then get another husband like that's clearly not a woman who you know, that's clearly such a different psychology from, say, a battered wife who kills the one husband because he's abusing her. Right. Um, to go out and find another husband is different. Anyway, so. Um, is it true that um, women serial killers are more successful? Yes. For like a, <laughs> a larger number of years? Yes. The, the statistic I have is that they kill for 10 years longer on average than their male counterparts. Wow. Um, yeah. So they are technically better at being murderers. And why do you and think it's, that is? I think it's twofold. It helps that people don't expect the woman to be the killer. Um, so a lot of these women, you know, there's a woman in my book who just looked like a grandma. I mean, she was a grandma, but she's just like this cute 1950s grandma so she just didn't look like a killer which really really helps um and then i think that women i mean it's like a negative female stereotype but a lot of these women are better at being sneaky and they're not they don't kill in really bloody ways so they're you're not gonna find a head in their freezer you know they're not dumb like that (laughs) (laughs) they're not gonna leave an ankle bone in the (laughs) dish rack they just you know they tend to poison people and so their victims tend to sort of die in plain sight because you know the doctor signs the death certificate and says yes he did die of a heart attack and he gets buried and (laughs) yeah that's really funny that there's an entire um like a list of gender roles specifically for murder (laughs) it's so it is so funny it's yeah and you feel like you want like, like my feminist side wants it not to be true. Like, no, they're not sneaky and they don't always kill in the home and they don't have to have a personal relationship with their victims because those all sounds like such negative stereotypes, but they are true for these female killers. I've always said that women 
have this amazing power for manipulation and you can use that for either good or evil. <laughs> like yeah. a woman can manipulate her husband into eating well and exercising or she can manipulate the police force and not thinking yes. that she murdered somebody. <laughs> right. Yeah. Women are very and women are good like that. And we can keep this yeah. secret, which is scary. Women well. are very I it is terrifying. And we can do it all with a smile and a little string of pearls around our neck. Totally. How, uh, was there any character in your books that specifically stands out to you? Do you have any favorites? Even favorite for being first? Oh, right, quote unquote favorites. Yeah. Um I have to say, you know, every woman in my book is special to me in their own dark way, just because I spent so much time with each one. Mm. Um, They're all like my sick little children that I do not approve of. Um, Well, there is one that fits the theme of this podcast well. Um, Her name was Daria Saltikova, and she was, I think I'm most proud of her because I think she's the least known, and I had to, um, she's Russian, and I, I got I um, hired translators to translate stuff from the 1700s into English for the first time ever. So I'm very much like, you know, this chapter is like never before seen. (laughs) Um, But Daria was a a rich noble woman from um, Russia in the middle of the 1700s, I believe. And she was very religious. Um, She would have gone to the Russian Orthodox Church, I believe. And so, you know, she was known for being this pious woman, you know, visiting the, the what are they called? Like the sacred sites of Russia, like the Virgin of Kiev, I think is one. Anyway, um, she's known for being very religious and she killed her serfs, mostly her female serfs. Mm. Her serfs were like basically slaves with like one legal technicality that made them not slaves. Um, and I... You know, that was, I, it was, that was so dark to me, but also, I mean, we see again and again how religion can be twisted and manipulated into, you know, oppressing people. So it was kind of a poignant chapter for me to write about this woman who, I mean, paid lip service to a higher power and then um, clearly had absolutely no value for anyone's life if they were like of a lesser stature than her. And then the detail that I loved because it's just so like morbid and poignant and WTF is she was captured, but she couldn't be executed because she was rich. And, um, you know, that kind of wasn't done. Like you couldn't just kill a noble woman (laughs) in the middle of Moscow. It would set such a dangerous precedent for all the other nobles and they might riot. So she was put in an underground cell with no light um, for decades. Wow. And all the only sort of, she got a candle with her meals, but the only activity she had was every Sunday she was taken to basically her cell was kind of under a church. And so every Sunday she was taken to stand near this vent so she could hear the sermon. Wow. And it's just like, just, I just want to know what was going through her mind. You know, if she had any, cause she never confess and she never admitted once that what she had done was wrong and it, just thinking of her there like like hearing a sermon every week in her underground lightless jail cell it's like do you, like did she have any moment where she was like wait 
I am not doing what I'm what I should be doing according to my belief systems or was she just like I kind of think she might have just been so crazed with power and so convinced of her own superiority that she could listen to the sermon and be like yes yes God does love me he loves me best um but that's speculation but I I did enjoy (laughs) like imagining that scene and yeah that's that's a beautiful thought I mean I don't want to sound like a vengeful person, but injustice <laughs> makes me crazy. Yeah. And like, it's kind of refreshing to hear an adequate justice done, you know, like yeah. if one of those serfs was someone that I loved and I heard that her, know. you know, repentance was to be in an underground lair hearing sermons, mm-hmm. I would be so down for that. <laughs> I'd be like, great. Yeah, I, I know it's a fate worse than death to, to, you know, be locked underground. Yeah, it is. It is kind of satisfying. Um, (laughs) Well, that brings me to an interesting point. I don't know what your thoughts will be on this because I get really freaky with all of my spiritual beliefs about entities and Mm. the supernatural and ghosts and demons and that sort of thing. I have a broad range of ideas and theories about Mm -hmm. that stuff. But it makes me curious when you hear of someone like that woman using God Mm -hmm. and twisting that into her own power and justifying her evil through it. I mean, nothing breaks my heart more than when the word of God or God's name is used for evil. But it does beg the question, like, are these people fully themselves? Are they ever possessed Mm -hmm. by a demon or anything outside of themselves is it purely clinical like do you have any theories after all this research on these crazy people I love that question um well so I definitely believe in entities and things that we do not know of and can't even really name like you know I'm down (laughs) yeah who knows how many ghosts are in the room with me right now as I'm talking to you I am I am I believe in a lot of things. So, um, so I want to say that, but I also have to say like when I research these people and I'm going to talk about male serial killers now, because I do think they tend to be more in a cliche way evil, because again, they are the ones who desecrate the body and blah, 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 put the heads in the freezers. I, when I research them, I, I, I don't think I've ever come across one where I felt like, that he there see he seems to be there seems to be something demonic going on um because and that that doesn't mean there's not but like when you read about these guys what they do seems so beyond human comprehension but then they do have their reasons however twisted i mean they're very rarely like slathering at the mouth rabid capital C crazy and if they are that there's usually a diagnosis for that um Mm. and like so this might I don't mean this to sound glib but I almost feel like for some of these guys attributing demonic possession to them would be letting them off easy um like there's the BTK killer who killed in Kansas in the 90s I I believe I thank you he is so infuriating and do you know how he's horrible he is horrible and disgusting and what makes him the worst or worse than that is that he wants to be like a sexy ted bundy-esque 
faux Good hero luck. killer. <laughs> Good luck, you ugly asshole. <laughs> Sorry. Not that I go, like Ted Bundy. Go but Google BTK. Go, Google his be sexy. beady little eyes. But he, as you might know, he likes to speak of the entity. Or sorry, yeah. maybe that is Ted Bundy. All these guys have, they like to, they're so dramatic. I think Ted Bundy speaks of the entity and BTK speaks of like factor X or something where mm-hmm. they're, they're sort of trying to say like, this force takes over me and I cannot control myself. And while I, I do think they sort of can't control themselves in a weird way, um, I don't think, I just don't get the feeling that they're being like totally transported, like some otherworldly forces taking over their bodies and forcing them to do these unspeakable things. So that, those are my thoughts on the matter. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, I think it's that's an interesting thought because the thing about a lot of these people is, of course, they're going to be diagnosable, like as mm-hmm. psychopaths or mm-hmm. narcissists. And both of those come with an amazing skill set for manipulation yeah. and lying without any remorse. Oh, so yeah. I watched actually... Um, Ted Bundy's final interview before he is with James Dobson oh my gosh isn't it (laughs) does it make you want to punch the screen oh he's he's the thing about him yeah this guy is a a gentleman that was very handsome very Mm -hmm. like passable as a normal person like exceptionally so mm-hmm. and he would put on casts or pretend to be injured in some way and convince women to help him like push a box deep into the back of his van or whatever mm-hmm. and push them inside and and then proceed to do really terrible things um but in his final interview he talks about how pornography was this insidious thing that gave him a demon that then gave him this like mm-hmm drive to murder people and I did find it infuriating because he is pretending I don't even think he's doing a good manipulation it's not a powerful manipulation to me it's like bad acting yeah he's just like now I'm Christian and I'm like oh Oh, shut up I know get out of here (laughs) and I hate how James Dobson is like yes I'm loving this interview it's it's perfectly fitting with my agenda well, so yeah, I mean, because everyone wants to hear about some sort of repentance. Right. You know, I guess if it gave families any closure, maybe yeah. it's worth I don't know. But um, how about, though, like the son of Sam? He said that his dog oh. was demonically possessed and talking to him. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, because I actually feel I was writing about the son of Sam and re- researching him and I I it, I do feel like he is reformed. I mean, I don't think he's ever getting out, but I did have kind of a stab of, you know, empathy at just like seeing how he was then. So crazy, so lost, <laughs> you know. And he also proclaims he got saved as well. Yes. He calls himself the son of hope now, which is like sort of heartbreakingly <laughs> cheesy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I would be more my instinct would be to chalk that up to more mental illness but then it's like well why is it one or the other um right maybe it could be both um well I have one more like demon related observation um I was (laughs) and then I'm all out of my demon observations (laughs) um (laughs) 
<laughs> I was interviewing this crime writer, M. William Phelps, and he is, you know, old hat at this. He has tons of books out and he's written about the most gruesome cases. And he, I, I can forget exactly what he said, but we were talking about faith and evil. And he, I, I think he would probably say that he's felt demonic presence before because he was telling me that he, he was corresponding with this serial killer in jail. And it was just like the darkness got to be, and he was going to church a lot. Um, he was Catholic. He was going to church a lot to try to counter the darkness. So in that way, that, I mean, that seems to sort of imply that the darkness has something demonic in it if you're countering it by going to church. Um, but the way it w worked out for him is he ended up kind of losing his faith. I mean, I, he says that, you know, he might go back someday, but the whole thing got to just be too much for him. And he said he was praying in church at one point and suddenly it occurred to him that he'd never thought to pray for the soul of this serial killer and that like shook his faith and he didn't go back um but talking to people like that who have been writing about this stuff for much longer than me and who have gotten closer to these people than I have I mean I'm mostly writing about women who are long gone I, I yeah you get the feeling talking to them that they're that they know there's something a little bit otherworldly about some of these guys. It's an interesting <laughs> point to bring up because I'm thinking of the verse, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, dwell on such things. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a Christian was my main guilt for having a fascination mm -hmm. with darkness. And, Same. you know, <laughs> I, and I definitely like, for example, I did a video on Satan <laughs> for mm -hmm. like right before <laughs> Halloween. And you know, an atheist or someone could definitely argue that it was all like psychosomatic and I was talking myself into it. But as a spiritual person, I really felt like my compulsive waking up every morning, looking at the devil, re watching movies about it, hearing people's accounts. I had the weirdest two weeks I've had in a long time. And really? for me, darkness isn't this like sexy, like, you, you know, an entity mm -hmm. in the corner of the room that's on mm -hmm. fire or like ghosts and goblins. Mm -hmm. It's like really actually bland and insidious. It's just oh. like a low key depression or a low key sickness or something that kind of creeps under your skin and you just feel unsettled all the time. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, how do you focus all of this energy on this research and stay at all at peace within yourself when I the more I research something it almost becomes less scary because and I don't think this would be true for something like um I don't know like the holocaust where you know I've gone through wikipedia rabbit holes we've all like read too much about that and just had to pull back like something that's yeah. more insidious and massive but when yeah. we're talking about serial killers which are these are at their core such one-off individual crimes like the serial killer acts alone you know um mm. the more I research them I do get a little less scared because things start making sense and it's no longer just the madman you know slashing his way through the night and just snatching off the street um even though you and I both know that is Ted Bundy would snatch people off the street 
it's like yeah knowing Ramirez is terrifying oh my god oh he oh home invasions yes hard no those are so so scary or the golden state killer yeah and I don't I mean you know I again writing about women it's they I don't have to write about stuff like that which so this would probably be a different conversation if I was writing about guys like that um but just knowing about their childhoods and kind of being able to be like oh okay here were some signs it becomes a little bit more mathematical and thus a little more knowable and thus a little less scary to me um Mm. so that helps and oh there's one other thing I was gonna say oh and then you know, I just, I, there are some things that scare me more than others. And I try to stay away from the things that scare me. Like, I always want to tell people that it's okay if you're not into true crime. <laughs> like, no one has to read my book. And I would hate to have someone read it if, you know, and, and be scared. Like, yeah. it's, it's, there's no moral, I don't place any moral anything on, um, how much or how little darkness you consume some people can consume a lot and it's fine some people can't consume any and that's fine too i stay away from things that i know will really scare me like i try not to look at crime scene photos um maybe someday there you know there will be an article where i really need to but if i don't have to why should i that's you know like you were saying earlier about rotten.com that stuff stays with you um i'm really really scared by mass shooters i don't write about I did write about them once but you know for mostly I, I'm not gonna research or write about that kind of thing um like terrorism you know so I think that's an important thing for anyone who's working on this stuff or just consuming it is just like know where your boundaries are and don't feel weird like maybe <laughs> maybe it sounds weird to be like mass shooters scare me more than serial killers but that's just how it is and yeah that sh- sort of shapes my work <laughs> and I think that's okay that's you know we're all just quirky weird humans like we that's don't have- a really yeah that's a really brilliant way to put it I love it you just have to oh, know your you. own boundaries and that's what drives yeah. me crazy a lot about you know, being in a church environment where people are putting their own limitations on yes. each other. Yes. It's like, oh my God. I'm fine doing this. Yeah. I'm really like taking care of myself. I can watch a horror movie and sleep right. like a little angel baby. And if you can't, God bless, like, please don't. <laughs> right. Like you don't have to, you don't have to harden yourself until you can, but, but just because you personally can watch a horror movie doesn't mean you're necessarily like hardened right. you know everyone just has their different levels of tolerance and well and this also brings up an interesting point which is I feel very passionate and compassionate about the taboo quote sins like things that are true sins pedophilia being one of them but mm a predisposition to murder is definitely Mm -hmm. one as well. And I really do believe if there is, if there are members of our society that are predisposed to wanting to murder people, I think it's important to have people like you that are level-headed and kind-hearted people doing this research and putting together these historical accounts so that maybe, you know, while we're ingesting this information, we can also not obviously that you're going to make it an acceptable practice, but like 
I read, for example, Jeffrey Dahmer's um, story. One of his classmates mm. did a graphic novel about going to oh, elementary yes. through high school. Did you see that? I, I saw the movie that was based on the novel. So in this graphic novel, his classmate makes it really clear in the beginning. He's like, I have absolutely no empathy or sympathy for him after he commits his first murder. But everything leading up to his first murder breaks my Basically, Jeffrey Dahmer was murdering cats and like showing his neighbors, basically being like, hey, I'm, you know, effed up in the head. Help me. And then he started drinking himself to oblivion when he was... Yeah. In middle school, like oh. 11 years old, just to try to get rid of these thoughts that he was having about murder and rape. Yeah. And I mean, I like to think we now live in a society where those things would be considered red flags instead of, you know, a call Ignored. to punish him or to yeah, ignore him. Yeah. But um, he really lays out that Jeffrey Dahmer had no one to turn to, even though he was desperate to never kill. Yeah. I I felt I felt that those feelings towards him too and it's very weird to feel that way but it's true I mean some of these people the the question that always comes up is like how much could they help it you know um mm. and of course you can't justify it ever and you can't be like oh they he literally couldn't help the fact no. that he continually went back to that same bar and picked up men and killed them, you know. Yeah, no, um, no, but, no excuses. Right. But it's like, how can we treat them going you know, forward? Can you imagine a world or a society that could healthily address, you know, if there's a kid in elementary yeah. school that kills an animal, like how do we nip that in the bud? Or if we see a girl being really manipulative and on yeah. this path of these other women, like is there a way to deter that or to demystify it? through people like you to maybe help some of these people? Well, I think we will probably know a lot more about psychopaths and psychopathy going forward, which could be really helpful. Um, I don't see myself as being on the cutting edge of that. I'm more comfortable (laughs) looking backwards into history. I don't think we need me making laws about (laughs) about that, but you never know. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think we will, I mean, we we haven't even had the phrase serial killer for that long, you know, only a handful of decades. So maybe in 100 years, we'll look back and be like, oh, my gosh, we knew so little in 2018 <laughs> about why people do this. So, yeah, I, I can see imagine a future where we are able to nip some of this in the bud. My only worry is, like, it seems like it could get really fascist really quick where someone's like, he's a baby serial killer and she's a baby serial killer and we are rounding them up. You know, it's like how much, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's very hard. Like, which is kind of, it's kind of one of the reasons I like talking about this stuff because you just run into these moral quandaries at every point where it's like, what do we do with the kid who lights the cat on fire? (laughs) Because so many times you look back and it's like, it was so obvious this kid was going to become a killer. Like, you know, all Mm -hmm. the signs were there. Um, So it does feel like there should be more ways to stop it. But yeah, I I mean, I also think it's really interesting if you look at historically, I mean, we are an incredibly violent society. Mm -hmm. I 
as someone, you know, hoping to educate people about sex, I'm always mortified that you're hard pressed to find a woman's nipple on screen, but it's really easy to take your 12 year old kid to see heads being blown off. Yeah. And it's like so normalized in our, in our society and our entertainment. But also I always think about like the men that worked in the torture chambers in medieval times. (laughs) I think their blood still runs. I I believe in like ancestral lines Mm. and blood running through and even, Mm. you know, psychological problems obviously run through families. So it's like those maybe people used to have outlets like torturing people for the king yeah (laughs) or even just going to war I mean not that that was good but like historically like so many young men would just go to war and just be violent there and so yeah maybe maybe you're onto something yeah and obviously again I'm not saying that's an excuse or anything that right. I promote. I mean I wish to God there was so much less violence and yeah. everything or entertainment and especially in reality mm-hmm. but um but yeah, it's hard to tell how to eradicate it when we celebrate it at the same time. We really do celebrate it, yeah, and uh, yeah, I do think there is something I mean humans are innately violent I mean. You know, even if I look within myself, you know, I can get so like if I imagine someone like hurting my sister, I there I want to rip that imaginary assailant's throat out, you know. Yeah. So I I, I some I try to remind myself of that to be a little more empathetic to whatever I'm writing about, which is like none of us, you know, just because I've never laid hands on someone doesn't mean I'm this pure icon of pacifism I think if we're honest with ourselves we all have these sort of dark I don't want to say dark instincts because that makes me sound like I'm saying we're all serial killers but you know we have we have the capacity for rage we have the capacity for violent rage we have I really think humans are very vengeful and we and that's something that's like no one talks about today um Mm. but I you know, so yeah, maybe that is all linked to like our much more violent ancestors, or maybe it's always going to be that way. It's just in our DNA. I don't know. So in closing, if there are any people out there that are fascinated by true crime, murder, and these sorts of like dark territories of psychology, etc., how would you recommend they do it in a healthy way? I actually just cover this topic on this I have this true crime advice column I know I know does the world need it I don't know (laughs) it's on (laughs) it's on this site called crime read so I'm going to repeat myself a little but um to I think in order to consume dark things while still you know sort of respecting your own mind and boundaries um like I said before, don't force yourself to consume something that something inside you is saying, like, no, we don't need to know this. We don't need to see this. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's helpful is look at it as history. Um, you know, Lizzie Borden is history. Um, the, a lot of these crimes teach us so much about how the world was and they've shaped how the world is today. They've shaped laws, they've shaped social mores, you know, people don't hitchhike anymore because of serial killers and stuff like that. So you, 
you can learn a lot from studying and reading this kind of thing. Um, and it's, you're not just learning like a collection of gruesome facts. You can learn a lot about human nature. So if it helps you to kind of think, oh, I'm, I'm sort of studying history and psychology and sociology. I, f right. I find that helpful personally. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I would say is that true crime stories are not just about one evil, evil person. A lot of people think that, but if you really explore these stories, there are often a lot of really good people in them too. And I love that. Um, you know, sometimes there's, I mean, so many times there will be the one detective who didn't give up for 30 years, even when everyone else did, because he has kids too. And he wanted the mothers of the victims to know peace. So a lot of these stories, there's a really, really good story there too, like something really beautiful and inspiring. Um, so when you read these stories, when you look into these stories, remember that and look for that. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Are you, open you. To anyone like uh, contacting you or anything? Oh, I would love that. Um, okay. Instagram is great. That's my one social media. I'm at Tori underscore underscore Telfer because Tori Telfer was taken and Tori underscore Telfer was taken. <laughs> but if you search for my name, I should pop up. Um, and then if you want, my book is on, you know, Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes and Noble, wherever, um, that you can find all the info for that at ToriTelfer.com. And then you can email me through my website and get in touch. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank everyone that's made it to the end of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> thank you. I never get to talk about these, this, the religious side of everything. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. This is really fun. Of course. All right. We love you guys. God bless.